God, we are so thankful that we are here this evening. Um, God, we pray that you will bless us as we look to your word, help us to um, just be attentive to it. I know many of us have come from many different places and are burdened by many different things. But God, I pray that you will allow us to um, just humble ourselves before your word, knowing that when you speak through it um, and we listen, great things happen as we see you more clearly and are transformed more and more into the image of your son. So would you bless us, Lord? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Okay, so in your small groups, real quick, I want you to answer this question, okay? What is one thing that you're convinced everybody needs to try? What's one thing you're convinced that everybody needs to try? Okay, so maybe it doesn't, if you're not in your small groups, that's fine, but maybe just in your little cluster of people around you. I realize people shuffled around, okay? All right, well, anyone like feel like they have a good one? Or anyone hear a good one in their group? I think, yeah, what? Common sense. Common sense? Oh, dang. Sounds like you had someone very specific in mind. Ouch. Wow. I think maybe you should try some humility. Anyway, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? Anyone else got a good one? Like a restaurant, a game, a movie? I don't think people want to say that. No? Yeah. <laughs> That is very specific. Although, of all the people that I'm going to trust a boba recommendation on, it would definitely be you. So, okay, would you call it boba if there's no boba in it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, These are the real hard-hitting questions in youth ministry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Good. Deep soul-searching things. Okay. It's common sense and a very specific drink order. Those are things we should try. Anyone else? Got anything good? Yeah. What is it? Cantonese barbecue duck. Yes. Yes. That's a good answer. Have you guys ever had this before? Peking duck? Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. From my people to yours. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. So good. Anyone else? Okay. If you had to guess, if you had to guess what I would say, the non-spiritual answer, if you had to guess what I would say, what would, you, what would it be? That's right. Wow. You guys totally know me. Okay. I feel like I can hang it up. I can retire in ministry. I seriously think Every person here needs to try Dungeons and Dragons, okay? Um, it is super fun. And I, I have a whole hour and a half long presentation I can show you if, I, if you need to be convinced that. I, okay, I'm so confident that anyone can have fun with this that if you, if, if, you let, if you are willing to play with me, this sounds so weird, if you're willing to play with me and you don't have fun, I'll give you $5, Okay. <laughs> This is also how desperate, and, and before, because Jesus knows your heart, he knows if you had fun. So if, if there's, if, if there's, if, yeah, so if I'm, this is how desperate I am to play with people, okay? I'm pretty sure I can convince you that it's really, really fun, okay? So all this stuff, some of this stuff is really silly, some of it's really, really great, okay? But here's, here's the reason why I ask this question. There are some things in your life that are so great and so significant that you have to share it. There's some things in your life that are so great and so significant that you have to share it. And in fact, some of those things are so great that your enjoyment of that thing increases as other people share it, right? So it's not like, so how many of you guys go to Disneyland ever, right? So one of the things that's like crazy right now is parking, right? It's so expensive. And so I have a secret parking spot that is only known to me and it is free. 
Now, the thing is, I will not tell you where it is because if I share this thing with you, there's less of it to go around. That means I may not get the parking spot, right? And so there's, in, this kind of, in that instance, right, the more I share a thing, the less of it is, there is for people. But there's some things in life that are so great that the more you share it, the greater your enjoyment of that thing is, right? So the more that Elise tells us about this boba, the more she will probably enjoy this boba. If she saw you drinking this boba, she wouldn't be disturbed. That, oh, there's less boba for me to drink. She'd be so happy that you got to share in this joy with her, right? So as we've been studying the book of Colossians, one thing should be really clear, that Jesus is the greatest thing ever. He's the greatest thing in the universe. The whole point of the book is trying to help us see the greatness and majesty and overwhelming beauty of who Jesus is, and then to live in light of that greatness. If we've truly experienced that greatness, then one of the things that has to happen is we need to share that greatness with others, right? And that's exactly why Paul wrote this book. He had been shown the greatness of Jesus in his own life. And out of that, he needed to share that greatness with others. He had to. He, compel, he was compelled to do it. So that's what we're going to see in our passage tonight. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 24. And we kind of are going to bite off a big chunk tonight. We're going to go all the way to verses, chapter 2, verse 5. It's a really, really long passage, but honestly, I'm going to kind of skim over most of it, and what we're really going to focus on are verses 27 and 28, or it's actually 28 and 29, okay? Um, and so right before this, Paul has been talking about the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the fact that we've been reconciled through his death and resurrection, and Paul is now going to start explaining how he is committing himself to sharing that greatness with others. So look at verse 24 in chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I am also with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word. Okay, there's a lot of words there. There's a lot going on here. But here's what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying that God has essentially shown him how awesome Jesus is. This is God's revelation to him that he sees what an amazing savior he has in Jesus. And because of that, Paul now has received a calling to be a minister of the gospel, to show others how awesome Jesus is. And Paul's saying this is not an easy job. He talks about suffering in verse 24. He talks about the afflictions he endures. He talks about how great a struggle this is. But it says in verse 24 that he rejoices in all these things. 
For as hard and as difficult and dangerous as it was to be a minister of the gospel, it's all worth it. Why? It's because Jesus is awesome. And he is so desperate to see how, for other people to see how awesome Jesus is. That's kind of the summary of this whole thing. He's just so passionate about wanting people to see the awesomeness of Jesus that God would make him a minister of the gospel. So what should we make of this then? So maybe you're thinking, that's great for Paul. Good for him. I, on the other hand, have other plans. But what we should see in this passage is that this includes us too. Right? Paul's talking about all the stuff that he's doing. Like he, he's become a minister of the gospel. He's suffering. He's doing all this stuff. And he gets to verse 28. What does it say? Him we proclaim. So he's been talking about himself, but all of a sudden, verse 28 says, we do this together. He's talking to a bunch of Christians he's never met before, but he has the audacity to say, this is our job as Christians. We proclaim Christ. And so what I want you to consider tonight is that if you're a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. Right? The word minister sounds like something really formal, right? Like in very official Right, at a wedding, you have a minister. Funeral, you have a minister. But in fact, the word minister is used to describe someone who's a servant. Someone who is helping on behalf of somebody else. And guess what? If you're a Christian, that's you. You are a servant of Christ. You are a minister of Christ. Right, think about all the things in life that you are. Like, if someone would ask you to fill in the blank, I am blank, what would that be? I'm a student. I'm a sophomore, I'm a junior, I'm a freshman, senior. I'm a team member. I'm a forward. I'm a point guard. I'm an outside hitter. I'm a musician. I'm a guitar player, a piano player, a saxophone player. I don't know. I'm a friend. I'm someone's best friend. I'm a son, someone's favorite son. I'm a daughter, the second favorite daughter, right? I'm a brother. I'm a sister. I'm all these things. But one of the umbrellas that covers all the things that you are is that you are a minister of Jesus Christ, that you're a servant of Jesus Christ. It's not that you stop being all those things, but in each of those roles, you are a minister of Jesus. Now, who is it that you are ministering to? And the answer is everybody, right? Your family, you're supposed to minister to your family, your friends, your teammates, strangers, siblings, parents, classmates. We minister to Christians, We minister to non-Christians. We minister to those who are mature and those who are immature. Every relationship you have is an opportunity and a calling that God has made on your life to be a minister of the gospel. And maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm kind of buying that, but what does that look like, right? How do I squeeze that in between algebra class and econ, right? Where does ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ fit in with my normal everyday life? Um, You guys ever go to the Torrance Farmer's Market? right? Do you guys know him? There's a, an evangelist there that's there sometimes, I think particularly on Saturdays. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? He holds a giant sign, and he is, has the, the biggest, loudest voice, and he's constantly shouting out that Jesus is the king, and everyone needs to repent. He says some other stuff, too, that's a little, a little harsh sometimes, but he's shouting all this stuff out, and I walk by, and honestly, I feel a little awkward, you know, as a Christian, and I'm on his side, right? And I'm walking by, and sometimes I just wonder, it's like, I know what he's trying to do, and I know he's proclaiming the gospel, and I, I, but is this what ministry is supposed to look like? When, when you read passages that tell you you're supposed to give all of your life to Jesus, is that what you're signing up for? For being a guy with the angry sign at a farmer's market? 
But I think what Paul is going to give us here is a really different picture of what practical everyday ministry looks like for those of us who are servants of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at four marks of a life of ministry, four marks of a life of ministry for Jesus. And the first is the person, okay, the person. And again, we're just going to look at verses 28 and 29 here and really hone in on those. So Paul says in his life of ministry, him we proclaim. So right out the gate, what Paul is telling us is that it's a center to what it means to be a minister. It's a person. If you're a minister of Jesus, guess what? You tell people about Jesus, right? And you see this like Yoda word order here, right? Him we proclaim, right? There's a weird, we don't talk like that. But the whole reason why they would translate it that way is so that you can see that in the original language, there's an emphasis here where the, Paul is saying, Jesus is the most important part of this sentence, and he is the person that we're proclaiming. Our lives are meant to be centered around Jesus and making him known. Now, honestly, we proclaim a lot of things. We love to proclaim how school is going, right? We love to proclaim how the Lakers are doing, or maybe you don't like to proclaim that right now. It's pretty, pretty painful to watch, right? We love to proclaim ourselves. We love to proclaim how stressed we are. We love to proclaim how hard things are. We love to proclaim how busy we are. We proclaim all manners of things. But Christians are supposed to proclaim Christ. I think so often we desperately want to make life about ourselves. We want to tell people how awesome we are, how awesome we're doing, the things that are important to us. We want to be the center of everything. And that's not who we're supposed to be as Christians. Christ is the center of our proclamation. It's the difference between the sun and the moon. Right? The sun shines of its own accord. Right? The sun creates its own light by itself, in and of itself. But what is this moon supposed to do? The moon simply reflects the light. All the moon does is hang out and reflect the light that it receives from the sun. And I think we forget sometimes that we are called to be the moon and not the sun. And so desperately, we want to be this, and we want to be these radiant lights that are special and recognized as being special in the world, but we're supposed to recognize that we proclaim Christ. He's the awesome one. He is the one we proclaim. Or think again about your relationships. If you are ministering in those relationships, in your friends, with other Christians, maybe even here at youth group, does, do you proclaim Christ to one another? Like of all the ways that you would assess how you relate to people at youth group is proclaiming Christ to one another one of those ways. Are you reminding each other of how wonderful he is, how good it is to follow him, what he's been teaching you? It should be the most normal thing for Christians to talk about Jesus and the reality of his power in your life. And it should be abnormal to think that the only time you talk about Jesus, especially with your Christian friends, is when a small group question prompts you to. We should be proclaiming Christ to each other all the time. Now, there are, <clears throat> I want you to think about your ministry to your non-Christian friends. Do you proclaim Christ to them? Do you see them for who they are? Do you see that they're lost people that need to be saved? And have you experienced the grace of Jesus Christ enough? Has it transformed you enough so that you feel compelled to share that same grace to others? Now, there are a lot of facets to how we minister to people and evangelize our friends, right? How many of you guys have ever tried to evangelize a friend? Just tried. How many of you guys have ever just thought about it? <laughs> like, just like, I should really do something, you know? It's like, 
And sometimes there's just kind of this panicked feeling like, oh, what, do I, what do I do, right? There's all these things that go into it. Right? We want them to know that we love them, right? So we have to be willing to serve them, sacrifice them, be loyal to them, listen to them, be gracious to them. Or do you have to live with integrity, right? So they know that what you're saying actually you believe because the way you live your life is different. Maybe one of the things you do is you invite them to youth group or invite them to a church event. But all those things all those ways of interacting with non-believers, they're good, but they're like appetizers to a feast, right? The main course in our ministry to non-believers ultimately has to be, are we telling them about Jesus and his gospel? At some point with a non-believing friend, if you're really serious about evangelizing them, it comes to the point where you have to look them in the eye and say, hey, this is gonna be really weird, but can I tell you about Jesus and why he has changed my life completely? Can I tell you that, you know, I mean, this may sound crazy to you, but there is an infinite God who made you. And right now, he's not happy with you because of your sin. But Jesus came to die on the cross to take your sin. And so if you believe in him, then you can be forgiven. What do you think? Now, that's a crazy conversation to have. Doesn't, doesn't it feel like the craziest thing to say to somebody? But that's what proclaiming Jesus is like beyond youth group and all this other Christian stuff, it has to come down to, do they know who Jesus is? And maybe that feels really intimidating for you, right? What if they have questions, right? What if they have objections or if things that you feel like, I, I don't know how to respond. I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say if they asked me this question. I have that question myself, right? But one thing that you can always share about that no one will ever be able to question is how Jesus has changed your life. And so I, oftentimes a really great place to start if you want to tell someone about Jesus is to just say, hey, can I tell you what a difference Jesus has made in my life? Or right now we live in an age where the thing that everyone seems to value is how you feel about something, right? And, that how, and if you feel something, therefore it must be true. Now there are big problems with that. But as Christians, that means what we do, what we have is an opportunity to tell them what actually is true. Like we can tell them this is how Jesus truly changed my life. When I was uh, growing up in San Francisco, it was a, a really highly academic, academically competitive environment. Um, there was a documentary that came out a couple years ago called Try Harder. Have you guys heard of this documentary? Um, and what it, was, what it did was it highlighted a particular school uh, in San Francisco and the cutthroat academic environment that was in that school. Uh, and this, the high school is called Lowell High School. And that was my school. And it was a magnet school in San Francisco, and you had a test to get in. And so pretty much it just drew in all the highest performing students across the city. And you get there, and you just have all these, like, completely bonkers, out of their minds, like, aggressive people, and they're all, like, fighting for the curve together, right? And it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy intense, right? And, and everything, everything in life was about performance, Everything in life was about grades and everything was about how, whether you were good enough or stacked up enough or whether or not you can, how you compared to somebody else. Everything was about that. And that was the air I breathed. And Jesus changed everything. I can't tell you how free it is to be able to say that my Savior defines who I am and gives me my worth, not my SAT score, not the college I got into, not the college I didn't get into, the thing that determines my worth is Jesus. He changed everything for me. So I can go to bed at night not feeling panicked about my future because my future is secure. No one has a question. No one can possibly question me about that because that's my life. 
And so can you do the same thing? Can you share how Jesus changed you and proclaim Christ? That's the person that's at the center of our ministry. And the second part of our ministry is the proclamation, the proclamation, right? So him, in verse 28, it says, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Right? So Jesus is the person that we have at the center of a life of ministry, but what do we do with him, right? What do we supposed to do with this person? Paul says we proclaim him, we warn, and we teach. Or do you notice what those words have in common, right? They're all words that have to deal with communicating with language, with talking, speaking, verbally sharing things with other people, right? In order for us to be ministers of the gospel, we have to use our words. I feel like I'm talking to, to my kids, like, use your words, got to use your words, right? We have to use our words and actually talk about him. Otherwise, you're not doing ministry. Um, there's a really famous quote that you get here, you hear all the time, and you've probably heard it. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Have you guys heard that before? It's like a great refrigerator quote, right? The kind of thing that your mom like slaps up on the thing next to like live, love, laugh kind of thing, right? And, and it's attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who was this Christian who lived a long time ago. And it sounds great, right? The sense of the idea, oh, I can preach the gospel all the time, but just with the entirety of my life. And, you know, sometimes I don't have to say words. Sometimes I do have to say words. And, you know, it's, that's kind of cool, right? And there's a couple problems with that. One is that St. Francis never actually said that. There is actually zero historical evidence that Francis of Assisi ever said anything like that. Zero of all the writings we have. There's no documentation of that whatsoever. Someone just made it up and slapped Francis's name to it. Poor guy, right? The other part of it is that biblically, it's just not true. Whenever you talk about preaching the gospel to somebody, it is always you using your word mouth, <laughs> you know, using the parts of your brain that are going to communicate language. It's always this thing that you have to say out loud to somebody, communicate with your words. That's what proclaiming is. It's like just saying something very plainly. Warning someone is pointing out what is wrong. Teaching someone is pointing, out, so is pointing out what is right. And we're doing all this with wisdom, right? This is God's wisdom revealed in Scripture. So this is the kind of the picture of ministry. We are proclaimers. We're constantly talking about Jesus with people. Now, what does this look like towards one another, towards other Christians? What does your conversation look like with brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it filled with proclamation and warning and teaching and wisdom about Jesus? Right? I don't know if you ever wonder, like, why we preach. Maybe you've just grown up in the church and you just know that at some point you get old enough where you're subjected to just someone talking at you for like 40 minutes for a while. You don't know why. Why, why does this happen? Why are these old people yelling at me all the time? Right? It's because of this verse and verses like it. We are proclaiming Christ to you and trying to teach you with wisdom what God's word says. We're proclaiming Christ to you. But it's not just preachers that do this. This is you. You are a minister. You are a proclaimer. This should be happening in our small groups, right? We should be sharing about ourselves. Yeah, we should be sharing how our week went and what's been good and what's been hard, all that stuff. But we also need to be speaking the truth to others. Like, do you, do you understand that you've been given a role in your small group to speak the truth to your brothers and sisters. Say, hey, have you thought about this, that this is what God's word says? You know, I don't know, the thing that you said earlier, I'm, I'm really kind of concerned about that. That seems really concerning to me. Can you warn, can you teach, and can you use wisdom? 
Now, does that mean that you can't talk about other stuff ever, right? Like can't talk about school, sports, hobbies, video games, goofy stuff, hard stuff, happy things. No, of course not. Of course we talk about those things. But the best case scenario is to see that those things should lead us to thinking more and more about Jesus, right? As we talk about those things, how can we help each other see Jesus more in them? In our conversation about how difficult the test was at school, can we talk together about where Jesus was in that moment? As we talk about um, the, the difficulties at home with our parents, can we talk about how Jesus is in those difficult relationships? <clears throat> There's another important part to this too. Are you inviting the proclamation of Christ from other people? Do you invite people proclaiming truth to you? Right? Are you willing to just be humble and, and tell people, hey, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm really excited about this. I don't know what to think about this. Can you help me to see Jesus in the midst of this thing? Can you help me to see where he's good, where he's gracious, where he's merciful? What about your proclamation towards non-Christians? Do you proclaim Christ to non-Christians? Like, do you actually evangelize them? It, 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 you know, this is what I do professionally, right? It is the scariest thing in the world for me to share the gospel. I still get shaky hands and like sweaty palms and my heart starts racing. It is still hard. And I know the temptation to just feel, well, can I just like kind of skirt around it for a while? And, you know, and maybe you feel the same way. And maybe you think, well, if I just tell people I went to church or if I just tell people uh, I can't, you know, watch that movie or I, you know, I can't do this thing that everyone else is doing because I'm a Christian. Say, oh, okay, great. That's fine. They know. They, you know, and they, great. I've ministered to them. They know I'm a Christian. That's wonderful. But at some point, there has to be a point in your relationship where you can say, I'd like to talk with you about something really important. Can I tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me? Now, that's really awkward, understandably. But the gospel is not just an awkward message. It's an offensive message. The Bible tells us that. And this is what it takes to be a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Um, there was a, uh, a good friend of mine who was like just gifted in evangelism, just would evangelize a rock, you know, if God told him to, just really good at this. I mean, the rock would probably get saved. And um, this was years ago when this, the first round of Star Wars prequel movies came out. So you guys weren't even born yet. You guys were just a twinkle in your parents' eye, right? And this was like, it's hard to imagine. This was like hot stuff at the time. Like our, the minds were being blown that these Star Wars movies were coming out. And, um, and so back then, like people would line up for these premieres. You didn't get to reserve a ticket, you know, a, a seat. You know, you just had to line up in line and hope that you didn't get stuck in the front row where you're like, like looking up at the screen like this, right? And, and so people would line up outside of these movie theaters for days before they could watch these movies. It was insane. And so my friend Kyle was standing in line with all these nerds dressed up in all the Star Wars stuff, right? And he's thinking like, you know what? They're going to be here for a while. I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to share the gospel with these guys. And so he turns to a guy and says, hey, man, you like the force? And they're like, uh, yeah. It's like, you know, is he more powerful than the force? Jesus. And that was his in to share the gospel. And like, and I'm sure he was with friends and I'm sure his friends were like, what are you doing? That's the craziest thing. But you know what? He was faithfully proclaiming Jesus as awkward as that is, you know? And I'm not saying that that's the right way to go about it or the wisest way to go about it, but God's honored in that. So don't let an awkwardness keep you from being a faithful proclaimer of the gospel. Okay, so there's a proclamation in our ministry. Third, there is a purpose, the purpose. What are we hoping happens 
when we proclaim Jesus? What do we hope the outcome is, right? Sometimes my kids just make noise and I don't know what they think the outcome is going to be. They just shout stuff into the void in the home. It's like, I have a bug. It's like, okay, what do I do with this, right? What's the outcome of that? What's the purpose of that? But Paul tells us what his desired purpose is in verse 28. He says, we proclaim warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that, here's the purpose, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? That's what we hope happens as we do ministry to one another. We want people to be mature in Christ. If our relationship consists of proclaiming Jesus and warning and teaching one another, this is the end result, is that the people we're around and we ourselves are going to be more mature. I think this is a really different goal than what we normally have in our relationships. Right? A lot of times, our relationships are all centered around what happens to me. Will they give me what I want? Will they like me? Will I grow? Will I be gratified? Will I have fun? Am I enjoying this relationship? But if you see yourself as a minister of the gospel, your life has a different focus. It's looking out to others and you're thinking to yourself, I will do whatever it takes to help them mature. Here's a good question to ask yourself as you're evaluating your own relationships. Look up here real quick. Do people look more like Jesus because of you? Do people look more like Jesus because of you? As they hang out with you, are they more Christ-like? Or are they completely unchanged? Or are they worse? Do people look more like Jesus because of you? I know that's not always the case for me, very often. I have this reputation of being kind of a bad influence on people, um, mostly because I have a lot of hobbies. And my hobbies require the accumulation of stuff. And so sometimes I'll like run into different people at church, like different guys and stuff like that. And I'll, we'll just start talking about all manner of random things. I put it on a list of all these things that I talk to people about. 3D printing, AV equipment, cameras, power tools, musical gear, cooking supplies, right? And this has totally happened where I've, I've grabbed like a husband, you know, that we're, we're just talking, we're talking about like some weird tool that I'm recommending. He's like, dude, you should totally look at this thing. And his wife will like come screaming down the gym because they, to pull him away because they can't afford to buy another thing, right? So I'm a bad influence on people. I don't know oftentimes that people are more like Jesus because of me. I think sometimes more people are more like Jesus despite me, you know, because I've sanctified them in some way. But I know that there are people who proclaim Christ to me. And because of that, I'm more like Jesus. Can you think of someone like that in your life? Like you just, you're around this person and it's like, gosh, like I just want to be more faithful. I want to be more obedient. I want to be more repentant. I was here at church this morning and I ran into Janine Amano. Do you guys know Janine, Auntie Janine? So that's like Seth Amano's uh, mom. And if you've never talked to Auntie Janine, she is just the best. She's not a flashy person. She's not like super loud and crazy or anything like that. But she just asked really good questions that helped me assess my life. And it wasn't even like, she was like, how's your quiet time today? She's not asking me that kind of stuff. She just asked me like, so how are things with the kids? Oh, that sounds difficult. Now, what do you think about da 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 And she just kind of follows up and just asks me these questions that really make me think. And afterwards, I, I kind of left that conversation thinking like, dude, I just need Janine to just give me a hug every week and just tell me it's going to be okay. That's all I need from her. Just, and I, I would, my life would be so much better. Can you be that someone for somebody? Can you be someone that would help them mature in Christ? Right, here's something to think about. I think this is actually what makes a healthy relationship, any kind of relationship, that both people are working together 
to present the other person more mature in Christ. That because you're spending time together, you're sharpening one another and fighting sin together and glorifying Jesus together. That's the sign of a healthy relationship. And that's also the sign of a healthy romantic relationship. So at some point, we are going to talk about dating. There's actually like some stuff coming up in Colossians that we're going to kind of work through. It'll be a really good opportunity to talk about it. But but I think one of the things that we sometimes lose track of when we're thinking about dating is we're constantly thinking about like looking at a person and sizing them up and trying to figure out like, do I like them, right? Are they compatible with me? Do they make me laugh? Am I, am, are we having fun together, right? Do I see a future with this person? But the heart of a Christian friendship and the heart of a Christian relationship, any Christian relationship, is that you are working together to present each other more mature in Christ. And so one of the most basic questions you should ask yourself as you're one day when you're 40 thinking about dating, just kidding, I don't know, who knows when it'll be, but when, whenever that is, thinking like, am I are they helping me to love Jesus more? Do they make me more like Jesus? And if they don't, then you don't really have any business being with them. They might make a great friend, but probably not a great romantic partner and eventual spouse. Anyway, that's for another time. Okay, so something to think about for, for, future, for future us. So that is the purpose, to present each other, each other mature in Christ. All right, the last mark of a life of ministry is the power, the power. Okay, this seems like a lot of work to do all this stuff, and it is, right? The word that Paul uses to this, uh, as a minister, right, is, again, is translated as a servant, and servants work. It takes a lot of work to be a minister of the gospel. It takes a lot of work to invest in the relationships around you, to make Christ the center of that relationship. It takes a lot of work to wisely help others around you mature. Paul acknowledges that in verse 29. He says, for this, I toil, right? The word for toil is when you exert yourself to the point of exhaustion, like to the, just to the point of the, the breaking point of your physical ability. And he says he's struggling. Like the word here is agonizomai, which is the, has the same root word that we get the word agony from. So he's agonizing. And actually you would find this word in, um, if referred to athletes. The athletes who are in agony over their exertion, um, so I know that there are a number of cross-country runners that are here. Like Wayne Takeda runs. So I know a lot of you guys are running cross-country because you have a lot of time and, you know, you're young and athletic. Wayne's crazy because, you know, he's like running for fun now, just for fun. I can't admit, I have no idea why. But the whole point of running, right, is it just, I just look at it and it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, why would you put to this point where you're just, you're breathing heavy and your heart's racing, all this stuff. And people keep telling me there's a runner's high. I don't believe them. I think it's a lie. It's totally marketing from big running, right? And there's, there's no reason why you should do it, to exert yourself to that way. And sometimes I think we, we, but that's what Paul says he's doing. He's agonizing, exerting himself, toiling, being a Christian, being a, having the life of a minister is really hard. Now, here's the thing. Some of you guys work really hard at a lot of things. You work really hard at a lot of things. You work hard at your sports. You work hard at school. You work hard at your friendships. You work hard at seemingly getting to the bottom of Instagram. Just where, where's the bottom going to be? I'm going to get there someday. Is the most important person in the universe getting your best work? Are you toiling for Christ? Now, there are days when proclaiming Christ to others will just feel like it's too hard, that it's going to cost you time and energy, too much time and energy. There are going to be times when it feels like it's going to cost you your reputation. 
There can be moments when it'll cost you progress you could be making in some other area of life. Right? This happens to me all the time where like, I get sucked into a conversation and in the back of my mind I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. This person is like taking up too much of my time and they're pouring out their hearts to me and telling me all these things that are going wrong. Not my small group guys, obviously. I care about them. I sit there, I'll, I'll listen to you guys forever. I'm not talking about you. But there's some moments where it's like, it feels like, ah, it's too much. I can't, I can't bother myself to be talking to this person for this long. Uh, another cost I had to pay recently was I lost a relationship with somebody because I told them about Jesus and what they thought about a certain part of their life. Um, and it was really hard. And it's like, and it was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had. And I still don't know if that relationship will ever be restored again. Um, but that was the cost of doing that ministry work. And there are moments like that where I wonder, is it like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to have one more hard conversation? How am I going to go through one more round of, you know, trying to answer people's questions? Where does all the strength and power come from? And Paul says this, he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I, I think that's amazing. Right, for all the effort that we exert in being faithful Christian ministers, this is like the warm blanket that Paul wraps around us, saying, you know, it's not you ultimately. Yeah, you're going to work hard at this stuff. You're going to try, you're going to put in some effort, but it's not you it's God in his infinite power that's working in you. Right, so in those moments when you fear that you will not have the power to do what God asks you to do on your own, step out in faith and obedience. And God will always provide you with the power to do it, always. When I was in grad school, I was thinking about getting another master's degree. And I just found myself at this point where I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do this thing. And I thought I was pretty hot stuff in the stuff I was studying and thought, you know, I can do this. And I was going super hard at this degree. Like, and, um, and I was talking, and I, was, I happened to be eating dinner with Pastor Wayne and his wife Mel, and they were eating with me and Jamie. And Wayne asked me this question. I'd been married like maybe a year and a half at this point. And Wayne asked me, and a really thoughtful question, he's like, how do you know if you're doing everything that God asked you to do as a husband? It's a good question. And I stopped. And kind of like I normally do, I just made some weird, awkward joke and kind of laughed it off, you know. And we kind of kept going on with dinner. And then Jamie, after dinner, actually, you know, they had left and we were cleaning up. And she said, you know, it really bothers me that you don't know how to answer that question. And it kind of, that kind of caught me off guard. And so it turns out that this whole time I've been pursuing school and like going all hardcore after it, she was feeling neglected. Not just feeling neglected, she was neglected. I'd completely put her on the back burner and I just didn't realize it. And, and so as I was thinking about this stuff, I realized in order for me to really be faithful and minister to my wife, I'm gonna have to slow down in school. And I felt there was a cost to that. Like what if my professor retires? What if I don't finish it? What if I lose momentum? Well, all these things, right? And it, all these fears, like I don't know if I can pay that cost to minister to my wife. That's such a crazy sentence to say out loud. And I remember going to Pastor Kim and asking him like what he thought. And something he told me that was super helpful was that God is not going to punish you for being faithful. If you just pursue the thing that God know, that you know God wants you to do in ministering the way God wants you to minister, he will always provide the right way for you to do it. Always. You never have to worry. It may not go exactly the way you hope it will, but he'll always provide the way for you to be faithful. And to this day, 
I never got that degree. I never finished it. And uh, I just spent a lot of money on a degree I never got. But I don't regret it at all. That was a cost I was willing to pay for the ministry to my wife. And God was so faithful. You can never outspend God's generosity. If you feel as if you're going to get to the bottom of your resources to be able to love and minister to people, you will never outspend God. He will always provide you with enough. All right, so that's the power of a life of ministry. So as I was reading this passage, um, this is actually a really personally really important passage to me. And, and I, I was thinking about what I hoped for for you guys as you were encountering this passage, maybe for the first time. And what I hope for is that you are going to be maturing towards a lifetime of ministry. You guys have a lot of plans. You're thinking about a lot of things. Some of you guys already have your whole career path planned out. You know the casket design you're going to have when you die and are buried, right? You know everything about your life that you want, to ha- you want to happen. But I want you to factor into this the fact that you are called to be a minister of Christ for all of life, every facet of life, for the rest of your life. I hope that because of that, you're going to be preparing yourself for a lifetime of ministry, right? That no matter what school you go to, what career path you choose, how much money you make or don't make, who you marry or don't marry, that wherever God brings you, you're going to step into that season of life knowing that you are a minister of Christ, that you proclaim Christ with all that you are. I hope and I pray that there are going to be some of you that are going to think and pray about going into vocational ministry. And some of you are thinking like, whoa, I can't even drive yet, right? <laughs> but I really hope that as you think about Jesus' impact on your life and the fact that you are gifted with this amazing gospel, that one of the great high callings of many Christians is to just say that this is what I want to make my life, that I want to be a pastor or I want to be a counselor, or I want to be a missionary, I want to be a youth worker, I want to be a children's ministry worker, I want to make my life about proclaiming Jesus. And I was about your age when I made that decision. I was at a camp um, as a high schooler, and they asked this question on one of those like hyper-emotional like commitment night kinds of things, right? And they asked the question, does anyone want to commit their life to ministry? And there were like sixth graders up to high schoolers, right? And I think I was a I was, a, a, uh, what was, I? I was going into my junior year in high school. And I remember thinking, yeah, I think I want to be a pastor. I had no idea what a pastor did. All I knew was that I liked talking and I liked Sundays. And I, like, I could do that, you know? And God grew me a lot since then. But even in high school, I realized that there was something about the ministry of Jesus that I wanted to be part of. And I hope that there's going to be some of that for you. Some of you may not do it professionally. That's totally fine. The bigger thing is, will you see all of life as ministry, all of life as an opportunity to proclaim Christ? All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us a great gospel, a great gospel that transforms us and changes us. And out of that greatness, God, we ask that you would give us hearts that are compelled to share that greatness with others. Help us to proclaim your son. Forgive us for how frequently and how often we would rather proclaim other things mostly ourselves. God, we also ask that you would help us to, to, to warn, to teach with all wisdom, that you would help us to, to want to communicate the truths of who you are clearly to, to one another as Christians and to a world that so desperately needs it. And God, all these things are really hard and uh, we can't do it on our own strength, so we're so thankful that it is your power that does it work within us. God, would you bring conviction and a vision for these young people to see that, um, that all of life is this massive adventure of ministry 
Um, and wherever you would lead them, you will always provide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.